Hey, today we're beginning a brand new series of messages that we're going to be in for the next three weeks called Made for Monday. And Mondays have become synonymous with the word work because for most of us, Monday is the start of the work week. But Monday's also become synonymous, that word, with, with the word dread. Um, in fact, Monday's kind of the dreaded day as you go back to work. In fact, there's stats that back this up. On Monday, employees are 50% more likely to be late for work than any other day of the week. Uh, on Monday, uh, productivity is its lowest that it is throughout the, re- throughout the week. Uh, one of the stats that I saw that I thought was really funny was that on Mondays, people don't smile as much. In fact, uh, this, this study said that the person doesn't crack their first smile until on average 11.16 in the morning. And I thought they only do that because they realize there's a lunch break coming and they're about to take lunch. Um, Twitter a few years ago released a study that said uh, that on people's moods and, and throughout the entire week because, you know, they can analyze people's words and tell whether it was positive or negative. And so they released this chart that, that we have. And it's kind of grainy, I know, but this is happiness by weekday based on Twitter sentiment. And the first dot you see is Sunday, then Monday. And then the rest of the week. It's like Monday is the lowest of lows. Um, One of the studies that I read asked people, if you won the lottery, what's the first thing that you would do? And one of the top responses was, I would walk into work and I would tell my boss, you can take this job and give it to some other deserving person, right? But the saddest statistic that I found uh, as I was getting ready for this series is that on Mondays, is when you see the highest rate of heart attacks and suicide. In fact, Dr. Alex Barizo, he's the senior fellow for biomedical science at the American Council of Science and Health, so he's a big deal. He summarizes research like this. He said the highest number of suicides occur on Monday, which makes intuitive sense since Mondays suck. Thank you, doctor. <laughs> My guess, though, is that that's a, how a lot of us feel about Mondays. And so my goal for this series is is this, that I want us to transform our worldview when it comes to work. Because I want us to understand that Mondays do not have to be a day of dread. In fact, Mondays can be a day that we step into and that we thrive in. And I want you to find this thought to be true. That God made you for Mondays. And I get, that's a tough sell coming, especially from a guy like me. It's like, easy for you to say, preacher boy. Like, do you even go to work on Mondays, right? Like, you only work one day a week and it's Sunday. And Just for the record, that's not true. We work two days a week. No, I'm kidding. Um, I I take one day off during the week, and that's it. And uh, but but secondly, contrary to what some of you believe, is as a staff, we don't sit around all day just singing kumbaya kumbaya either. I mean, we have the same uh, tensions that that anybody else has in their workplace. Our schedules can be tough at times. Uh, And I'm just telling you, there are Mondays where I wake up without this sense of like. Oh, wow, it's Monday. Like, in fact, I would tell you that most Mondays I wake up with that sense of, oh, it's Monday. But the good news is, is that the more that I've studied Scripture, and when it comes to this topic of work, the more God has been transforming my mind and my heart on the topic of work. And I, and I think that God will do the same thing for you through this series. And so here's why I think this series is important, because many of us need a transformation when it comes to our thoughts and our attitude about work. It, it just causes so much dread and, and stress and depression and anxiety and just issues for our families. So this series is for everyone. This series is, is for the person that is miserable at work and you're about to quit your job. 
This person is for the series, uh, this series is for the person who, who actually loves their job and, and enjoys their work. Th- this series is for the person who, who is making a career-changing decision soon. For the person who's in a midlife crisis and they're just thinking, what am, what am I going to do next? For, for students who are starting to think about, hey, what their careers are going to be and, hey, where do I go from here once I graduate? The series is for the stay-at-home mom who says, when they hear the word work, you don't even think I'm talking to you. And let me just tell you, if you're one of those people, if you're a stay-at-home mom, what you do may be more important than what any of the rest of us are doing because you are creating and you're creating legacy for your work. The series is for retired people who just think, what's next? I've worked all my life, what do I do now? And here's what I think will happen through this series. I think God is going to take our worldview and begin to slowly transform it as we open up his word. And so that's what I want to do today. I want us to open up God's word and see what he has to say about work. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start at the very beginning. And, and today I really want to start at a, at a base level. And I, I want us to open God's word. And what I want you to understand is that God made you for blank. And how would you fill in, how would you fill in the blank? If, if you were to just answer this question, God made you for blank, what would you put there? Well, in terms of this idea of work, I think most of us would say God made us for the weekend, right? Because the weekend, that's, that's what we live for. I mean, I don't live to work, I, I work to live. I, I work for the weekends, that's where I find all my joy and fulfillment and purpose in life. I, I just work because I have to, but then I get to the weekends and, and that's where, where, where all my joy is at. And I'm going to challenge you, I'm going to challenge you in this series to, to maybe rethink your worldview and to say, and to... to refill in the blank that God made you for Monday. Now let me show you this in scripture as clear as I can. We're, like I said, we're going to start in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. In the very first verse, I want, you to, I want to show you what it says, what, what God did in the very opening passage of scripture. It says, in the beginning, God what? God did what? Created, right, yeah. He created. When all of this started, when, at the very beginning of time, God went to work. It went to work, it says for six days he worked, and then on the seventh day he rested. And when God worked, he performed all the jobs. A job that maybe you performed. God was an artist. He dreamed up this entire planet. He put everything in it. God was a designer and an architect. He, he was an engineer and a builder. He was the first uh, scientist. He was the first zoologist, a horticulturalist. He was a musician and a poet. He was a leader. He was a manager. He was a shepherd. And aren't you glad that God did all of those jobs and he decided to do it with excellence? Because look at what we get to enjoy as a result of that. We enjoy all of this because God showed up to work and he worked with excellence. Now, I want you to picture with me for just a moment that God woke up on the very first day that he was going to create the world. That he, he, he woke up and let's just say God approached work and, and Genesis 1 read kind of how some of us approach work. I think if you opened up scripture, you might read something like this. In the beginning, God woke up and headed to work at 8 a.m., cranky and depressed. He put in a work requisition to separate light from darkness, and it just seemed that that was taking way too long. And so he was going to create some stars in the sky, but thought, that's just too much work. I'll skip the stars. On day three, God woke up, and he wasn't really in the mood to put forth his best effort, and so he was going to create all the dry land that day. And across the world, and he thought, maybe I should put some mountains and some forests and some glaciers and some waterfalls and streams and all that kind of stuff. But he just said, you know what, that's going to be too much effort today. I don't feel like it. So let's just pass. And at the end of the day, instead of saying it was good, he said, well, 
that'll have to do. Day six, God woke up, and this is the day that God created all the animals, and, and he thought, I've got, a really, uh, I've got a bunch of really cool ideas about what we could do with this, but instead, I think I'm just going to create one animal of each kind. Minimal effort, so, so God created one bird, one fish, and one animal. God created a pigeon, a carp, and a cat. And after he was looking at the cat, he wasn't all that thrilled, because, I mean, who is when you're looking at cats? Sorry, cat lovers. But he thought, you know what, it's 5 p.m., it's quitting time, I'm getting out of here. I've just watched the, the cat throw up a hairball where he just ate the pigeon. I'm done, I'm out of here. And he gets ready for the weekend, exhausted, and he looks at himself and he says, thank me, it's Friday. I'm going to imagine that that's what would happen if God approached work the same way many of us do. And aren't you glad that God didn't do that? That instead he, he stepped up and he created everything. And he went to work with purpose and meaning. And by the way, the pinnacle of God's work, the, the pinnacle of God's work was the day that he created you and me. Uh, let me remind you of what happened on that day, what he said about it. He, it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. In, in other words, God created you to be like and to exhibit traits of him in, in his likeness. So, so think about this. The day that God created the very first human, when he created Adam and he breathed into life into him he breathed into his nostrils think about this Adam takes his very first breath on earth and, and what's the very first thing that God does with him what, what's it, what's God do with Adam as soon as he creates him well let me read it to you it's the very first thing that happens it says then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden this is paradise right this is it couldn't get any better than this that God took him put him in the garden of Eden to do what to enjoy an all-inclusive resort right because that's what we think about when we think about paradise, right? You know, Adam and Eve, they're just lounging around in Eden. It's perfect. It's beautiful. There's nothing to do. They, they're going to, you know, get up late, get, uh, go to bed late, eat whatever they want, just lounge by the pool, lounge by the waterfall, do, you know, it's perfect. It's beautiful. You couldn't imagine a better time because that's what we think about when we think about paradise, right? That there's no work there. Now, the very first thing that God did with mankind, listen, and this is before sin enters into the world, okay? This is, this is paradise. This is still paradise. It says, then the Lord God took man and put him to work. God put designs in us and, and this idea that we would work and, and it would be good. It, it would be a good thing. And, and that idea that God put this within us it kinda, and that work would be a good thing, it kind of messes with us, doesn't it? Because we think this idea that work, it, it works a result of sin. It's a, it's a, it came after the fall. It's, it's our punishment. It's, it's a curse. But that's not true, is it? I mean, work, work didn't happen come after sin. Work was always a part of God's plan. Which means that God always intended, even when the world was perfect, God intended for us to work. And some of us are probably thinking, why would God do that? Is he some sort of sadist up there? I mean, why would he introduce a curse into this perfect world? Because work is a curse. And listen to me, if you think work is a curse... I think it's because you've been conditioned to think that. And I'll even go as far to say as I think you've been conditioned to think that by Satan himself. He wants to convince you that work is a curse. And it's the exact opposite. God designed work to be a gift. It's a gift and it's a blessing. It's how he designed us to be. And, and some of you are probably thinking right now, well, it doesn't, doesn't feel that way. Work doesn't feel like a gift. And I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. But let me just point out this, that anything that God creates and he created work, anything that God creates is always good. We, we need to understand that. Anything that God creates, it's always good. 
And I want to show you the actual Hebrew word that God uses throughout Scripture for, for the word work. It's, it's the word avad. Now, I know it looks like a bad, but, but in Hebrew, the, the B's sound like V's, and so it's, it's havad. And I just want to show you what this word actually means. Uh, it it's, means simply to work, to, to accomplish, to do. It's the word that God used when he put Adam in the garden to work. It's the word that God used when he put Jacob to work. It's the word that God uses every time he puts anybody to work in the scriptures. He uses this word, avad. It's, it's working, it's a gift, and it's good. But I want to show you another place where 50 time, 52 times throughout Scripture that this word avad is used. And it's the exact same word, and yet it's translated into a different word. It's translated something different. Let me show you how this word is translated 52 times. Worship, worshipped, and worshipping. Now it's amazing to me that the exact same word that's translated work is also translated worship. And here's what I think that means. It means that work and worship are not separate ideas. They are not separate ideas. The idea that work and worship are not separate ideas, here's what it means. It means that we don't worship work. And, and let me just talk to some of you workaholics out there for a minute. You're not more spiritual because you work more, okay? That's not how that works. You're, you're not. And, and we shouldn't worship work. But what this means is that we were designed to worship and to work. That our work is actually an act of worship. It's, it's a gift, and it's how God designed you. That's why a lot of us, we got to flip the script, and a lot of us, we got to say, you know, I, where we say, I work for my weekends, we got to flip that, and we got to say, I, I work for Monday. I work for the week. My, my weekends, they're the days where I rest up, where, where I, I catch my, my breath, and, and I, I get ready for what God has really designed me for, and that's for Monday. And we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks, but, but today, let me just answer the million-dollar question. If that is true, if this is true that we were made for Mondays, and I believe that it is true, if, if work is a gift from God, if He designed it, then why doesn't, why doesn't it feel like a gift? Why does there always seem to be a gap between my work and, and, and what I think should be and could be and, and my reality? Because when I think about work and I think about what it should be and what it could be, I, I want it to be fulfilling and joyful and life-giving and purposeful, Right? And yet, so many times in reality, even if you love your work, even if you love your job, the reality is, is that oftentimes you find work to be hard and frustrating and exhausting. And if God designed work to be good, then why is there this gap between these two situations? Between what, what I want it to be and what it actually is. Well, let me tell you, it has everything to do with Genesis chapter 3. Remember, God created. In chapter 1, God created, right? In chapter 2, God breathed life into Adam, and he, and he made him to work. And, and it's amazing. It's paradise. It's, it's great. But then in chapter 3, sin enters into the world. For the very first time, sin, sin enters into the world. And we all know whose fault it was, right? I mean, ladies, I mean, it was Eve's fault, and we all know it, right? I'm, I'm kidding. All right? Some of you, like, some of you ladies just immediately went like that. You know, like, I'm done listening to this. No, Adam was right there with him. He was, they, they were both complicit. They both ate the food. They, they both sinned, and sin enters into the world, and sin always has consequences. Don't, don't ever miss that. Anytime you ever step outside of God's word, outside of God's will for you, there's always consequences. Sin always has consequences. And so sin, sin enters into the world, and, and there are consequences. Well, what are the consequences? Well, let me just show you what they are. First, God speaks to Eve, and he says this. He says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. It's going to be painful, right? It's going to hurt. I've watched my wife give birth to both of our sons, and there was not one time in, throughout that whole process that I thought, man, that looks incredibly easy. 
Not one time did I think that. I wanted to live, right? I mean, but I, I think the words severe and painful are, are appropriate words for, for, for that when you think about what childbirth is like. So there's a curse involved, right? But, but watch this. What's cursed? The childbearing process, not the children, right? Children are not a curse, contrary to what many of you might think about even your own kids. But they're not the curse. The childbearing process is cursed. Now watch what God says to Adam. He says, cursed is what? Cursed is the ground. And because, because of you, through painful toil, you will eat through, uh, through it from all of the days of your life. And then God goes on to say that it will produce thorns and thistles for you. Thorns and thistles, things that, that uh, poke you, things that irritate you, things that prod you. But understand this, work was never cursed. Work was never cursed. The ground was. The, the environment was, but, the, but the, the work was never meant to be cursed. The, the environment, the, the process, the, the environments that work happens in, that was cursed. They're going to have thorns and thistles. And hey, you may love your job. You may have the greatest job in the world, but... I, I guarantee if I were to ask you privately where you didn't have to raise your hand or, or out somebody, you would say, yeah, I've got thorns and thistles at my workplace, right? Anybody ever work with a guy like, like this, you know, at, have, have that guy at your workplace, got a shrewd walking around, and he's a thorn and a thistle, right? We all do. Because the process in which we work in, the environments in which work occurs, is cursed. In other words, you could say it like this. Cur the, the work is not cursed, it's yard work that is cursed. That actually is not what it means either, but, but God's saying the curse is not on the work, the curse is in, in the environment. And so just to drive this home and really get this to sink in for you, uh, because this is a really big concept and a really big deal theologically, I, I would say it this way, work isn't cursed any more than children are. Alright? I mean, this is, we need to understand this, that, that like, this is, a, this is a big deal. Work isn't cursed any more than children are. We don't think of our children as a curse. We shouldn't think of work that way either. The environments are going to be hard, and they're going to be painful, and they're going to be toilsome, but that's a huge difference. I've heard, I've heard people, and you've heard people say this too, that, you know, find a job that you love, and you'll never have to work another day in your life. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't think that's true. And I definitely don't think it's biblical. Because what we, what we read in Scripture is that every single work environment, no matter how much you love it, is going to be difficult at times. It's going to be hard at times. Do you know that studies show that even the best of jobs, that people that, that love their jobs more than, more than anybody else in the world loves their job, studies show that 60% of, of the job they love and around 40% of the job they don't. The best jobs, the best jobs in the world, and people only love 60% of the job. 40% of it, they, they, you know, I could do without. And I'll tell you, that's, that's probably pretty close to true for me. I mean, there are aspects about my job that I absolutely love. I love doing this. I love getting to preach. But the process by which I get here, don't always enjoy that so much. I mean, you think you got a good idea, and then you start writing stuff down, and it doesn't come together the way you want it to come together. And it's just like, oh, this idea was garbage. It was such a great idea two weeks ago, and now, as I'm writing it, it's, it's garbage. And, and there, you know, there are hours sometimes spent in the writing process. I tell you, I don't always enjoy that. In fact, very rarely <laughs> I enjoy that part. But you hear the 60-40, and, you know, there's some jobs that you think, okay, well, really, what's the 40% like? You know, what would be 40% of a, of a bad job? Like, take, for example, Vanna White. I mean, Vanna White from Wheel of Fortune, right? Real tough job she's got for 41 years. For 41 years, Vanna White 
her job has been to go turn letters on the board for Wheel of Fortune, right? Did you know that she only works 48 days a year? 48 days a year, that's how often they film. And, and she makes around $4 million a year. So what could 40% of that job be like that, that you don't like, right? Because you're just like, way to go, Vanna. Like, how bad could this job be? Way to go, Vanna. I mean, what could be so irritating and difficult about this job? Way to go, Vanna. You have it so rough. Did you know she has to clap over 720 times in every episode? Do you not think there are times where she's like, I'm so tired of clapping. That was a terrible guess. I mean, how can you not solve that puzzle? Nobody guesses Z. Like, there are moments, I think, where, where she's probably, this is so irritating. Even in the best of jobs, there are 40% of the job that people don't like. So all I'm saying is that every single job has that 40%, and yours will too. Even if it's the best job you've ever had in your life. Which means this, means that we need to accept the, the reality, this idea that there's always going to be a gap between, between what our work is, what we think it could be and should be, and what actually it is. And I think that's groundbreaking for some of us because, because of, of the fall, because of the fall on this side of heaven, there will never, ever be a job that's perfect. There will never be a job where you will be completely satisfied, where everything will go just the way that you want it and you think, I hey, it, it couldn't get any better than this. There will never be that job on this side of heaven. Now, don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean that it makes it easier, but I think that should give us some solace that, hey, we're, we're in this with everybody, right? Everybody has something about their job that they don't like. And that doesn't, again, that hopefully gives us some solace. It doesn't make it easier, but it just means that we need to accept this reality. And so what are we supposed to do with that gap? If there's a gap between between our work and, and reality, what we want it to be and what it, what it could be and what it should be and what it actually is, what do we do with that gap? Well, I think that Monday gap can be overcome with a new Monday worldview. If, if you have a new Monday worldview, and I just want to suggest three attitude changes that, that you can make that will completely transform your work and your Monday every single time that you step into it. And here's three, and I'll start with the first one, and it's this, that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. You've probably heard that saying before. Most of us have probably heard that saying. Most of us probably grew up hearing that saying. That the grass isn't always greener on the other side. But you know where the grass is greener? Where you water it. And where you fertilize it. And that water and that fertilizer, that's our attitude about work. And if you're always thinking, if I just got that promotion, if I just got paid a little bit more, if I, if I just could work in that department, if I could just transfer here, if I could just do this, if I could just have that dream job, then, then, then everything would be better. Wrong. There's always going to be a gap. There's always going to be a gap. So the grass is not always greener on the other side until you accept that you're going to be the, and until you accept that, you're always going to be the person that just hops from one job to the other. And you, you hop from this job to that job to that job. And you're always seeking and seeking and waiting and waiting for that perfect job to come along that does not exist. It doesn't. There's always a gap in every single job. And until you accept that, I'm just telling you, when, when I see resumes for people who have lots of different jobs and short stints they don't stay anywhere very long and it, it's always a massive red flag now to be fair there are some people and, and maybe you're one of them that that your job and the environment in your job is just so toxic that you, that you need to you really need to think about leaving you, you need to think about making a bold move and and maybe going back and getting some training and going back to school or, or doing some networking or, or something like that but but when you think about your job you know this there are really only two options and they're this you can change your attitude or you can change your job. 
That's really the only two options that you have when it comes to your job. You can change your attitude or you can change your job. So how do you know which one to do? Well, I'd say it takes a bunch of discernment, uh, a bunch of input from people that you trust. But here's what I would challenge you to do. If you think about your role today and you're thinking about switching jobs, you're thinking about switching uh, to another organization, to another company, think about this. What's the likelihood that you're going to experience some of the same frustrations there that you experience right now? What's the likelihood? You know what I think? I think it's about 90%. I think about 90% of the time you're going to experience the same thing, the same frustrations that, that you experience right now. You're going to experience that somewhere else. To, to some degree you are. 10% of the time, I think it's time for you to take a bold move and, and get out of there because it's just too toxic. But 90% of the time, I think it just requires an attitude change. It requires a massive attitude change on our part. And you can control that. You can control your attitude and the effort that you put forth every day. That no matter where you work, that's yours to control. No matter what you do, no matter how mundane you think it is. Listen to what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 14 through 16. He says this, he says, do everything readily and cheerfully. Everything cheerfully. How many of us go to work like that? We're going to do everything cheerfully. He says, no bickering, no second guessing allowed. It goes on to say, go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. If we want to be a breath of fresh air in our work environments, if you want to be a light, it requires, and, and I believe this with, with everything in me, it requires that Christians that we ought to have the best attitude and work ethic of anybody around. I absolutely believe that, that we should be the standard by which everybody else is judged when it comes to our attitude and our work ethic, that we should work harder. That doesn't mean that you have to work more. I'm not telling you you got to work 80 hours a week. That's not what I'm saying. But our attitude and our work ethic should be the standard by which, by which everybody looks at, by which everybody else is judged. So you got to ask yourself, when you go into work, am I... Having a great attitude. The issue for some of you, though, is not that you think the grass is greener on the other side or that you, you, that you have a terrible attitude. Um, what many people feel like is that their job is just not important enough. It's not significant enough. It's, it's not enough there for God to work through them and, and where they're at. It, it, it's not spiritual enough. It's, it's too mundane. It's too meaningless. You know, I just answer phones or I just work on a computer. I, I, I don't really do anything. I, I mean, how can God use me? I'm not a leader. I don't have a ton of influence. God can't use me. But here's the truth that some of you need to hear about this, is that God working through you doesn't depend on what, you, on what job you work at. God working through you doesn't depend on what job you work at. We forget that many heroes of the faith, many of them did not work in a church, and they certainly didn't work for a nonprofit. I mean, let me give you a few examples. Isaac developed real estate. Jacob was a rancher. Joseph was a government official. If, if God can use a government official, right, he can use anybody, right? Moses spent 40 years as a sheep herder. Esther won a beauty contest and then went into government service. Mary was a stay-at-home mom. Paul was a tent maker. Jesus spent 85% of his life as a carpenter. God can use you exactly where you are at. And here's what I think. I think the world needs more than anything else. It's not people that feel like they have to quit their job and go become a full-time pastor. Although I love when people do that. I love when God, when God calls people into ministry. I, I love that and we should celebrate that. But I think what the world needs more than anything else is not people just to quit their full-time job and go, go into ministry. But people that would look at their job and say, you know what my job is? My job is to be the pastor of my workplace. That I'm going to go into my workplace and I'm going to be the spiritual leader there. I'm going to be the spiritual influence. I'm going to pastor the people that I work with. 
That, that's how our world's going to change. When we talk about we want to lead people to love and follow Jesus, we're not talking about just here. In fact, if we only do that here, we're going to fall way short of the mission. When we say we want to lead people to love and follow Jesus, we're primarily talking about out there. We're talking about where you are, where you work at, where you go to school at. That's where you lead people to love and follow Jesus. That's where they get to see you, the real you. Because look, everybody can dress up and put on a nice face and come to church and, and mumble a few words to a song and pretend to stay awake long enough for, for a 20-minute sermon. 20 minutes, who am I kidding? Uh, we can all do that, right? But if you really want to lead people to love and follow Jesus, then be the spiritual influence at your workplace. Can I tell you what would happen if that became the attitude that we embraced? I think overnight your life would radically change. Your family and your relationships would, be, would get better. Your marriage would take a, a huge boost. One of the number one stressors and anxieties and depressions, it just affects marriages and families all the time. It, it's stress from work. Because you, you're like, I hate my job. And you come home and you take it out on your wife and your kids. And work gets the most of you. And your kids and your, your, your spouse, they just get what's left of you. And, and so you just take it out on them. Your kids would be transformed. They'd hug you when you come home from work. They, because you know why? They'd see, your, they'd see you see your job as having purpose and mean, meaning, uh, meaningfulness. They would say, He's got a, that my dad or my mom has a purpose for Christ. And, and it would give them a vision of what God could do through them later in life. You know what else would happen? Your workplace would change. Your workplace would change. You change, the, you, change the, you change, and the people around you will change. Notice I said you change. Your job is not to change other people, all right? That, that's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job is not to do that. Your job is to change yourself, right? And then let other people see you as that light, as that light and darkness that Paul talks about in Philippians. You change, and the people around you will change because, because seeing you live out a brand new attitude about work will change them. So what's it going to take to get you there? Well, I gave you three suggestions, and I want to challenge you today to pick one of these as your takeaway. Of saying, what do I need to do? Maybe you, realize, maybe you need to realize that the grass isn't greener on the other side. And you just need to water, uh, water your own yard. You need to fertilize and, and water where you're at. And, and just watch God grow uh, what you're doing there. And watch God grow the people around you there. Maybe you need to say, hey, I need to change my attitude. Or, or I need to change my job. And if you need to change your job, then, then be bold. But most of us, 90% of us anyway, we just need to, to change our attitude. And then for those of you who don't think you can make a difference in your work because it's meaningless or mundane, you need to understand that, that God working through you has zero to do with what job you're working at. It has zero to do with what job you're working at. You were made for Monday. I was made for Monday. God made me for Monday, and God made you for Monday. And I'm just telling you, if we would embrace this, if we would embrace this thought, then I believe God would transform our community. He would transform our, our families. He would transform our workplaces. And He would transform our value for Jesus. So what are we going to, are, are we going to just be made for Sunday? Come in here and spend an hour, get our check mark, go home. Live like Sunday didn't matter. Because I'm telling you, if, if what we do in here on Sunday doesn't make a difference on Monday, then we've wasted our time. It has. We were made for Monday. Let me pray for us.